Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is Kim Simmons, head of design at UK business bank Metal. Kim, how are you? Very well, thank you, and thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, it's great to, to have you here. So just to get started then, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little more information of your role and what you've been up to at the moment? Sure, yeah. So I'm head of design at Metal, focus on product and brand. I've been with Metal almost since its inception, so getting on for four years now. And prior to that, I worked in other companies, including McKinsey and Google, always in the design space, really focused on developing the best possible user experience for customers and users that I possibly can. Excellent. Thank you, Kim. With you on the show this week, we'll be looking at discussing whether challenger banks can continue to compete with traditional FIs as the latter ramp up their transition to digital. We'll also be looking at the different factors that can come into play when it comes to customers choosing their banks and how new firms can stand up and be noticed. But first, as always, is our news in numbers segment. This is where our guest has gone out and found a new story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So, Kim, what have you brought along for us today? Yeah, so I was having a look through, stepped out to me was the kind of Lord Hammond to join 1 billion fintech crowdfund report. So the reason this sort of stood out to me, apart from anything else, given the current economic climate and everything we're going into, it was just interesting, not only that tech's continuing to be funded, but fintech in particular has been called out as something that's being aggressively funded. And I know that there's some supporting stats also around this, that in 2021, there's record investment in fintech. I think the sort of stats that I saw were around 29 billion invested, which is 2x what was invested in 2020. So I just thought it was very interesting to see that trend is not looking like it's letting up anytime soon. And I was quite surprised by that. I agree. This is originally from a Sky News report and the fund was hinted at in the Khalifa report as well, which came out a couple of years ago now. But so it seems like this is a continuation of that recommendation. As you mentioned there, we've recently actually wrote an article as well on new data published by Innovate Finance, which detailed how the country, the UK saw a 24% year on year increase in fintech investments in the first half of 2022 as well. So that's despite a global slowdown in, in funding as well and, and tough market conditions. Yeah, it's incredible. So with this fund in the offing now, I mean, you've mentioned it there, but do you see this momentum then continuing despite the economic environment at the moment? And do you see this continuing into the future? Or is this, I guess, was this kind of planned in spite of the market environment at the moment? So I'll probably go with the latter state there. I think that this has been in the works for a long time, especially a fund of this size. They tend to, as far as I understand it, they do take a while to come through. So this has clearly, I think, been organized and arranged prior to that. However, that said, I do think that this fintech space will ride out the next two years, drawing to be intact from a funding perspective. That said, there are clearly... I don't know if the word cracks is kind of the right word, but there are definitely things changing, right? So we're seeing people, even things like Curve and Coinbase are all taking hits. And also the kind of whatever it was, around a third of value being wiped out when it comes to crypto, having a big impact on some of these crypto fintech organizations. So I think despite the fact we're going to see the funding continue, my sense would be that the scrutiny is going to go up a lot. And I don't think money is going to be handed out quite so freely as perhaps it would have been in 
here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. So we're going to jump straight into our main topic of the day now and try to cover as much as we can in the time that we have. So Kim, then what's your take then on the current banking landscape in the UK, given the acceleration of digitization over the last decade or so? Yeah, so uh, when I was looking at this question, I think the way I see it is that the incumbents are moving, right? All the large organizations, they're having to make inroads or that rather the fintech is pushing them in the direction to digitize and digitize quicker than perhaps they would ever really want to. Yet at the same time, we're still seeing fintech itself charging ahead, as in still leading the way. And I think this is something that my, we can sort of get into later as well. But my view is increasingly that the landscape as a whole, we are seeing a transition of fintechs from that kind of scale up to becoming more stable. And those more stable fintechs are then going to have to start dealing with becoming large but agile. How are they going to maintain their speed? And then when it comes to the incumbents, I think many are still dealing with the issues of Yes, we're digitizing, but how do we become truly agile while still maintaining and managing all of our risk and regulatory apparatus that they've set up over decades? So that's how I see it at the moment is a new battlefield, if you like, of if, uh, five years ago, it was all about these sort of new up and coming organizations and disrupting. Now we're getting into a space where some of these people, obviously the kind of the Monzos and, and the revolutes of this world are starting to get so big that they're becoming true challenges to some of the incumbents. Yeah, it's interesting you just mentioned that, actually. We've just, as we're recording now, we've recently just had the latest customer service survey from Ipsos come out, um, and that features Monzo and Starling as joint top with first direct in third overall when it comes to overall service quality. So seems that, the, like you say, these more established challenges now have created a real solid foothold for themselves in the industry. Given the increasing number of new banking players, things like customer trust and brand loyalty often come into play. So is it now becoming difficult for new players coming into the space to differentiate themselves and build that trust and compete with these existing players? Or given the current economic outlook, are people more swayed to, to try something new? Yeah, interesting. I think the question poses, is it a new problem. I think it's always been a problem for any fintech organization, right? But I guess anybody moving into a new space that's got incumbents pre-existing, brand is always something that these large organizations lean upon and lean upon heavily. It's what enables them to get a large percentage of the customer growth that they, or rather percentage of the market that they already have. So I think if anything, the spending that people like, at least in our world, Tide and Monzo have put behind their own brand is incredible, but that's what you have to do to get yourself visible enough. And then when it comes to how are they going to combat some of that existing incumbent brand, brand strength, that's going to be a real problem. And I think if we do move into a recession-like scenario, I think we're going to see a bit of a flight back to some of those more mainstream known organizations as people psychologically vote with their feet and as they're worried and worried about their money, they will revert to what they know. And I think that's going to be a real challenge for fintechs over the next year or two. Excellent. And certainly, I mean, previously there was always this sense that some people were using challenger bank accounts almost as separate pots and kept their main bank account with the incumbents. Would you say that this is still the case and that people are still more comfortable having that salary paid into the bigger incumbent banks? And how can challengers maybe look to challenge that? Yeah, I think that it is probably, it is still true to an extent. I think it's changing though. And I think what we're getting to with this, things like the 
the services that we all know, switching services and all the open banking facilities that we now have available are giving us the possibility or giving the customer the possibility to be able to move bank account more than ever before and actually move to where the innovative or interesting features that they are excited by are. We've seen some of these fintech organizations came in with interesting product features, things like share my bill and so on. And that was something that which was used a little bit of petty cash or spending cash for. But now we're seeing the introduction of the savings accounts, ISO accounts, all these sorts of things, which people look for as part of their mainstream hold my money. And I guess the other addition is that we talk about these things as fintechs, as new organizations coming in. For some people, especially the kind of younger generation, they will have seen them for most of their banking life. So they actually I think don't see them as necessarily risky organization. Things like Monzo and Revolut, they see them as well. That's just my bank account. And so as such, they've always paid into it. So I think the further we go along and the more new individuals and people are growing up coming to the workforce, those people, I think, will be far more likely to embrace fintech banks and use them as their primary bank account. Excellent. And do you think that having that security of NatWest behind Metal Boost's trust in your own brand? Absolutely. Yeah, it's something we definitely lean into and it has a huge benefit for us. We gain all this knowledge and expertise inside the organization, especially around risk and compliance, and that enables us to pass that on to our customer. So it's a win-win from our perspective because we get this kind of large brand supporting us. And yet at the same time, we can lean on them for their expertise in the areas of risk and compliance. So yeah, that definitely has an impact for our customers. Excellent. And we're seeing a lot more neobanks these days coming through offering quite niche products for very specific audiences. Is this something that you can foresee continuing going forward? Yeah, I was wondering about this. I think so. As with any space, as it gets filled up and there are more, and as we just talked at the, the top of the call, right, we've got loads and loads and which lots more money still pouring into the sector, which is only going to increase the number of players. And so as, as the players increase, I think we're going to see more and more of those niche products, as you're alluding to. Things that sort of spring to mind, which I guess probably not as niche as perhaps you're implying, but even people like Coconut, who have moved away from being a pure banking offering and are now offering something which is closer to accounting platform or a, a niche accounting platform with that. I think that's a great move. And I think they've got a really powerful offering there and they're going to build great product market fit within that space. And then from there, they can expand and grow and incorporate additional groups, additional features to solve problems for those groups. So yeah, I think that's where it's going to go. We're going to see really great products arising for small niche areas. And then as they succeed within those niches, they will look to grow and move out into neighboring or adjacent problems within their spaces. So the rise of neobanks and over the last few years, along with the pandemic, has really sped up the push from larger incumbent firms to move more and more banking services online. So given these larger firms already have the base of trust and loyalty, can new players then compete with traditional FIs as they start, well, as the incumbents transition to digital? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think this is part of, so we talk about the transition to digital for a large incumbent player. It's extraordinarily difficult. And so as much as they are making that transition, I think with the best will in the world, even with all the change management in the world, you're going to find that a smaller player can always be more agile and more risk, sort of pro-risk than any incumbent organization. And that's where I think the small player will always win and compete is by doing something faster be more agile, be more customer focused than the large incumbent organization. And I think 
that's never really going to go away until such a time as perhaps, say, the, the large fintechs of today become the incumbents of tomorrow. And perhaps those organizations will have built into their DNA more of a tech or software point of view, like the large software companies that we know, Google's or Meta's of this world. Whereas I think the incumbent banking models will always struggle with some of those core principles of building, rapidly creating, building product to customer problems. So do you think that incumbents are closing the gap when it comes to speed of development or are Shalane just still keeping them at, at arm's length? Yeah, I think the gap will be closed, but never equaled or surpassed. That's my view. I think they'll always be slightly behind. I mean, I'm sure there'll be areas of particular product types and things. I'm thinking the mortgage space and so on, where you might see things which are unique from large incumbents simply because they have the facility, just the amount of knowledge they have in particular spaces. But I think by and large, what we'll see is a catch up, but then it'll hit a wall where you'll always see new small companies come in, or even the sort of fintechs that exist, always slightly ahead, or in some cases, very far ahead of what is existing. Excellent. Thanks, Kim. And just to round things off then, I mean, given that you're obviously working with Metal, obviously working business banking, what's your take then on, on the future kind of outlook for UK business banking at the moment? I think it's exciting from the perspective, not only ourselves, but I think from customers' perspective, I think it's never, business banking has never looked better for customer. There are lots of players in the space. Everyone is, we're all trying to do interesting things, all trying to integrate better than we have had before and offer real, I hate the word 360, kind of rounded services, which include not only accounting, but everyone's looking also into things like tax integrations, and then also looking into how to manage and maintain and support businesses and give them something that's much more than a bank account. And I think you can see that across the business banking industry. And I think that's going to be the trajectory of the next five years. That you're going to start to see applications or software with banking at the heart, which offer people a much better understanding of how is my business doing and also facilitating the management, the financial management of their business and really taking away a lot of that pain at administrative overhead. We are in part three of the podcast. This is the FinTech Jail. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already in there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Or, of course, our guest can argue to free one of the previously incarcerated terms. So, Kim, which buzzword do you want to hand a sentence to today? Uh, yep, so, I love this concept, by the way. But yeah, I, so I voted or I put my vote towards um, MVP or minimum viable product. This is a little bit mean, I guess, because this is not just a fintech problem, but it is a, I would argue, a tech problem, especially on software. And the reason is that this is a highly specific term that is highly abused. And I think what I hear a lot is people talking about, oh, yes, we're just going to create an MVP and it'll be fine. And then you look at what those actually been produced producing like this is not viable this is just the minimum um, it's not the same thing and so i think this particular term for me definitely deserves a place because it causes me personally quite a bit of stress but also i think in the industry at large it's misused so perhaps if we get back to its origin we can use it correctly it can be released for the time being i would like to put it in the jail so if minimum viable product reverts back to its original meaning, then how would you define what MVP is currently standing for in the space? I guess rather than minimum viable, you're just saying, what do we need to show that this will work? 
which is not a very simple phrase, but that's what I think most people are getting at when they talk about minimum viable is a, what's, what can we get out the door that we can give to a customer? And my view is often with that is that the differentiation between what I decree to be, what I think of as viable, and that's the operable part of the phrase is I regard viable as something that a customer uses and can get positive use out of. Whereas I think what tends to happen is viable is used in a sense of we've released something terrible because that's not viable because the experience is so poor that uh, we need to go through some more iteration. And of course, you can release it to a smaller subset group and do your testing and do your iterations. And that's obviously all part of the process. But that's where I find the difficulty to be. Yes, interesting. It already confuses me being MVP, just confusing it with most valuable player when I think about sports and stuff, right? So I, I feel like if you're going to create like an acronym like that, then you need to make sure it's different from another one previously and potentially more famous. <laughs> yeah, fair um, point. So even on that front, it's uh, I'm, I'm willing to throw it into the jail for, for that, but I, I completely agree with your argument there. But yeah, definitely. I think it's worth putting into the jail for now. And if there are any minimum viable product fans out there who want to, to come on the show and break it back out of the jail, then there's always the option to do so at a later date. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Kim for joining me. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and of course on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye.